because it starts as a hobby, sometimes we don't step back and look at it really like a business owner would. You're listening to Take It Personally, a podcast about the personal side of business and the art of standing out. All right. Christine, thank you so much for being here today on the podcast. I'm excited to chat with you. Thank you so much for having me. Yes. So you and I are our new friends. We've recently met at the Reset Conference and um, just hit it off right away. So for those who do not know who you are, I would love it if you could introduce yourself and just tell us who you are and what you do. Hello, everyone. My name is Christine Tremolay. Right now, I'm working as the Chief Growth Officer for Aftershoot, which is a company that helps photographers create more and edit less. But prior to this, I actually have a really long history working in creative fields. I started my career over 20 years ago working for a web design agency. I started blogging all the way back in 2000. My geek claim to fame is that I named WordPress the actual software, which had no name at the time because there was no company. It was just two people coding WordPress and my friends said that they needed a name. So when Matt Mullenweg said that they needed a name, I came up with the name WordPress. Fast forward a bit beyond that, in 2007, I decided it was time to live the dream. I had always wanted to be a professional photographer But growing up, I always thought that that meant you had to go be a journalist. You had to go work at a newspaper. You had to get one of the seven jobs at National Geographic or whatever. Like, it didn't seem possible until digital, I feel like, changed things in so many ways. And becoming a professional photographer, especially becoming a wedding photographer, became a much cooler thing. And so over the past 14 years, I photographed weddings full-time for many years, and then eventually transitioned my business to work um, as a boudoir photographer, and then transitioned a bit more to work with brands and business because I came from that web design, web industry background, and never let go of my love of marketing and branding, all of which landed me now. It's like, I, I feel like I've come full circle now that I'm working for Aftershoot. It's a little funny journey through the whole circle of the past 20 years. But I intimately understand what it's like to be a creative business owner in a variety of different fields. And there's certain things I feel tend to come up over and over again for all of us, no matter what type of work we're doing. Yeah. You know, it's so interesting and it's something that people talk about all the time. And yet I wish that there was more attention to what we could do to be better in the areas of oftentimes when you leave your corporate job to do freelance full-time, to be a full-time photographer or creative, it's for more freedom and more flexibility and all of these like amazing things. And then you end up chained to your desk or, you know, living (laughs) living by according to deadlines and your, your boss is now your client. And like, you just kind of traded one world for another. And so people talk about that all the time. Like, Oh, I left my nine to five to work 24 seven, but I wish that we talked more about how 
uh, that doesn't have to be the case, you know, certainly there are those seasons, but it doesn't have to be like this all the time. So as I shifted, part of my shift from wedding photography to boudoir photography was also because wedding photography, you're really chained to a schedule. Like you have to be at the place on the Saturday that the wedding's happening. You don't really have much of a choice. I also started doing business coaching, business mentoring as I was doing boudoir photography. And I decided I wanted to take off on a road trip. So in 2013, I left for what was supposed to be about a three-week trip. It ended up being four months. I drove, and so that trip was four months from, I guess, July to November, I was gone for solid four months. And because I didn't have, I didn't have to be home for a wedding. I had, so I just booked clients while I was traveling on the road. And then fast forward to the following year, I was also gone another six months. So out of a total of 18 months, I was gone 10. I drove 40,000 miles. I went to all the lower 48 states and four Canadian provinces. So because that was, you know, that was part of what happened was I stepped back and I was like, you know, I said, I wanted to do this. And that part of why I wanted to do it was to be able to travel. And why am I not traveling? You know, why am I not making this happen? Even now, the majority, I still occasionally photograph brand sessions for different, uh, mainly coaches. And I tie them in with my travel. Like, oh, I'm going to this place. I'm going to Phoenix later this year. So I'm going to reach out to my clients that are in California and say, hey, I'm going to be in Phoenix. It's another six hours away, (laughs) which is so closer than Houston is. But, you know, you're a few hours away from Phoenix, but should I come to you? Should we do another session? You know, it's been a year, et cetera. And just being able to have that flexibility, it was important that I looked at my life and asked myself, like, am I creating the life I want to live? Because it's really easy to get caught up in being your own boss and thinking you have to do it all. And no longer living the life you want to live. It's so easy. It's, it is incredibly easy to suddenly have realized that you built a business that you don't even really like. No, no. And I will say, um, I am a serial entrepreneur personality type. I'm the, um, I'm the personality type that I climbed the mountain. I got to where I wanted to be. And then by the time I climbed the mountain, I looked around and I said, okay, what's next? So that's each time I've transitioned my business, that's what's happened. I had somebody recently asked me, um, basically, like, did your wedding business fail? And I said, no, just after six or seven years of full-time weddings, I suddenly wanted my Saturdays back. So it wasn't a matter of failure. It was a matter of just reevaluating and transitioning things and, you know, keeping that in mind and making changes accordingly. You know, that's such a good point because we do tend to position things as success or failure when in reality, it actually shows a lot about you as a person to be able to look around and say, okay, well, nothing is broken. It's fine, but it's not what I want. And so I'm going to make a change and do something different. To be fair, my old business coach used to say that I would get bored with success And I would blow things up so that I could have a new challenge (laughs) because I love a challenge. 
So should Jeff ever listen to this podcast? Yes, I'm owning the fact. I do do that. I do like constant change. I mean, that's why I love being a wedding photographer because it's really like, okay, what's going to happen next? There's, you can't control anything. Then when I shifted my life to, well, I want to do these crazy road trips where literally I, at any given time, I couldn't tell you where I was going to be a week from that day. Um, In order to do that, that was where then the constant change became. So then having really, and my sessions were no longer driving me uh, the need for constant challenge in my life because the challenges were coming from, you know, being on the road. And how do you make that work? Totally. Absolutely. (laughs) So speaking of challenges, managing businesses certainly is challenging. And also having to at least feeling like we kind of have to do it all as business mm-hmm. owners. Um, so today I wanted to talk about the different things that you've kind of discovered over the past, however many years of being a business owner, um, different ways that you can kind of uh, get different productivities in place and almost do less to be more successful. Exactly. Um, I have three key tips that I want to talk about that line into all of that. Um, the first one, you know, I mentioned being on the road and I quickly had to learn the lesson that you don't have to respond to every communication immediately. I, I mean, I was forced into that initially because, you know, if you're driving someplace really remote, you might not have internet, you might not have cell signal, but also if I'm, if I'm driving down the interstate at 75 miles an hour, I can't stop and answer an email. Right. Things just have to wait. And in this always on culture that we have, I find it really fascinating. If you think about how much work somebody did in a day, let's say even 30 years ago, you know, computers were in the workforce by then in the 1990s but you weren't tethered to it. You got to go home. You got to leave the work behind. And in the past 20 years, we've really built up this whole mindset of, oh, the email came in. I have to answer it right away. Um, In the corporate world, it's because that's what our boss expects from us. But in self-owned businesses, we start to think, well, if I don't answer that email right away, they're just going to move on and hire someone else. And I believe in setting up the other areas of my business to support me. Like my website is my store. You know, my website is how somebody gets to know me. And when I always think about things like, how do I feel when I'm shopping? I don't walk into a store, pick something up off the rack and expect somebody to be there right that second to to check me out. You must let me pay for this right now. No, I actually, I mean, sometimes it's nice to have a little bit of experience, have it a little bit more drawn out. And I don't want to set that expectation for my clients that I answer your emails 24 seven. I'm not a cyborg robot that is just there always. So I even restricted how people could contact me. If somebody would send me a text, I would almost always respond with, thanks so much for texting me. Can you send me an email? Because I'm, I don't want to lose your text. I don't want to lose your Facebook message. I made it really clear that Facebook Messenger is not, or now I do actually do a lot of work on Facebook Messenger. 
But for many years, I didn't. Like Facebook Messenger, not the place to contact me. Not if you want me to keep up with it. Right, right. If you want your message to get lost and for me to never see it again, cool, send me a text or send me a Facebook message. But that's also where I'm getting all my personal communication from my friends and from my family and so forth. Um, If you feel like if I don't answer someone's message right away, then they're going to book someone else. Then the rest of your marketing needs some work. Oh yeah. Because that is the cold, hard truth. Yeah. They should be so in love with you that they're willing to wait two hours for a response. Or if they write you, um, you know, if they send you a message at 1am because they're late night scrolling, they should be willing to wait until 10am to hear from you. No one should expect a response from you at 1am. And I feel like it should be our collective mission, all of us as humanity to put a stop to this nonsense. Uh Uh-huh. I so agree. You know, we were just perpetuating it. The more that we say, oh, if you write me, I'll answer right away. Yep. It's so true. And so much of that is just a boundary issue. And when I have people, clients or friends who, who say exactly what you said, well, but if I don't respond right away, what if they hire someone else or what if they go a different way? And my, my response back is usually a question like, well, what if they do? Chances are if they're coming to you and they like feel like they absolutely need that immediate um, communication, it's to me a huge red flag for what the real yeah. rest of the relationship will look like. And if you don't want to be chained to communicating with this client for the duration of their contract, like then it's really best if they go about their business now. now. I don't want to break up Friday date night with my partner to answer somebody's messages. Right. And when I was photographing weddings, you would be surprised at how many people send wedding inquiries on Saturdays. It's always baffled me, but if I'm photographing a wedding, I'm not going to answer somebody's email right away. And I'm never going to do that if I'm in the middle of a photo shoot or if I'm in the the middle of a consult with someone. So it's an unrealistic expectation. I think we also put a lot of stress on ourselves saying that this expectation must be met versus just giving ourselves some grace. Like it's okay to have a life. You didn't start this business to work 24 seven at all. Yeah. Yeah. And again, if that's a boundary that your clients or potential clients can't respect, then it's not a good fit. And like, that is, that's just the truth of it. I've had clients before who don't believe in the boundaries that I set. And they're always the ones that I look back and I'm like, I should have seen the signs. I should have said, no, no money is worth the, the sacrifice of like, you know, my time and my sanity, it's just not worth it. I'd be curious to know your experience. My experience has also always been every time that that client turns me down, oh, you didn't write back fast enough. You know, oh, I booked another photographer 30 minutes after I emailed you, which is weird, but okay. it It happens. Anytime I've had that experience, something better has come along to fill that day and to fill that time. A million whether percent. Whether it's a personal thing, I ended up needing to go to a friend's wedding, I needed to 
um, you know, I wanted to go to a outdoor festival that was, you know, whatever the case may be, but like, or I've had ended up with a much better client in that time slot. So I feel like when we tell the universe, like, no, I don't want to be treated like that. Something better tends to come along. That's been Um, my experience completely, Uh, like uh, almost within, uh, within a freakishly short amount of time. (laughs) universe is like, Oh, okay. Noted. I will get something better. (laughs) And like a week later, you're like, Whoa, so glad I didn't book that other thing. That's right. Mm -hmm. Um, my second tip, ask for help. You don't have to do everything creatives, which in industry I know and love intimately have been a part of for 20 years. I'm pretty sure we are the only people that think we have to do it all. Like I have to do my marketing and I have to answer my emails and I have to create the graphics for my marketing. Oh, and I have to go be uh, creating some reels on Instagram now. Um, But I also have to write my website copy. Oh, I have to build my whole website from scratch by myself. I need to, you know, whatever it is that you do, I have to do all the things, just me. And no other business runs that way. Imagine if you walked into a restaurant tonight And the chef came running out from the back to greet you at the door, to seat you at the table, to take your order, to cook your food, while trying to do that for every other person at the table. Oh, and by the way, he's also taking care of the kids and cleaning all at the same time. Like, Mm -hmm. we can't, we're humans and we cannot live that way. I think also sometimes it hurts our business because we think we have to be the experts on all the things and we are not, and then our business does not thrive because of it, because there is someone that you could probably either hire or even reach out to for help, whether it's help, and that help can look a variety of ways. That help could be help in your business, or it could be help in your home, because I don't know about you, when I get really wrapped up in my work and really busy in my business, I start to ignore my house, Probably because I'm right there working. And since I'm working out of my home, the last thing I want to do is go grab the vacuum and vacuum the living room carpet because don't you know I need to post a reel and write five emails and do some editing all at the same time. I have other things to do. Yes. And we suffer. Yep. Some of the first things that I outsourced to allow for more time in my business were things at home. Um, you know, a housekeeper or childcare or whatever, like just to allow me to have more time to figure out a way to kind of make that money back. Those were some of the first things that I did. And then once I was at the point where I could hire an accountant or a graphic designer or someone to do my website or whatever it might be, like those were always such good investments in my business and also scary investments, certainly, but good. And the amount of guilt that I see other business owners have for not being able to create a website or do their own taxes or whatever is just unreal in the creative field. And I want to say the same thing. What do you see at a restaurant? You see a bunch of people doing their one thing, you know, the one thing, thing, their thing. Yeah. Yeah. The owner of the restaurant didn't actually do the layout of the menu, the actual print layout. They didn't 
design the logo. Or if they did, you probably know because you're like, ooh. (laughs) But if it's a nice restaurant, because I think, you know, if you look at what you want your brand, what you want your business to represent, sometimes your DIY skills might not be up to that level. You know, I can tell when people have DIY their logo, you know, and for anybody listening, I always assume that people know what DIY is, but do it yourself. If you do your logo yourself, you know, there are options out there to at least buy a template to get started from. There are options in Canva to get you started. But if you're just opening a graphic software and you're not experienced with designing logos, mm, a lot of people can tell. And these things subconsciously actually impact your prices. So if I go someplace and all of their marketing materials look eh, mediocre, I'm going to assume that that's the rest of their work is. And then if they're charging luxury prices, I'm going to be very confused and the confused mind never buys. So that's a really uh, important thing that I think we tend to forget about is When you invest in your brand in whatever way, whether it's hiring the experts or, you know, taking the time to really do something well, you are able to turn around and charge more of those premium prices, you know, because you have created that really incredible brand and experience and service or product, whatever it might be. And when you're not doing those things, while there is a time and place for it, this is a point that we grow to. It doesn't happen overnight. Um, But when we kind of are consistently just doing it ourselves and doing it just enough to get by, that's going to have uh, an effect on what we're able to charge and and also the level of service that we're able to provide to clients. And I feel like there is a place for people that are charging a whole variety of rates. Sometimes I come across as if all I care about is people, you know, making tons of money and being, you know, the luxury brands, but that's not actually true. The biggest thing I care about is people being profitable. Right. And when you're doing all of the work and all of the things and also doing the client work, every bit of your time is money, you know, because you should be paying yourself for your time. And so it's easy as a creative running your own business, thinking, well, I'll just do that. It's just easier if I do it. It will save me money. It will cost me less. But at what price? Because sometimes the price isn't just the cash in your bank account. Sometimes the price is either not booking the clients or the price is simply like not having any time left, not being able to build that dream business that you wanted. You know, you're stuck working 24 seven. There have been many times in my life where I don't know what the off switch is. I don't even, I don't know how to turn it off. It's just on permanently. And that's eventually can really lead to burnout. 2020 was a a burnout year for me. I hit a wall. I hit a big wall. And part of that was, was tied into just feeling like I had to always be on. Always. And that's not, you know, don't do that to yourself. I don't. Highly do not recommend that. <laughs> Zero stars. That was 2019 for me. And so then when 2020 rolled around and I was pregnant and there was a pandemic, I was like, okay, so I guess we're not doing anything this year. <laughs> Nothing is happening. So it was the biggest 180 of my life. And 
while I completely recognize some of the terrible things that happened in 2020, it was such a wake up call for me to realize, oh, I actually, I know I was so used to saying things like, I like to be busy. I like to have a full calendar. And then I didn't. And I was like, I really like this. Like, this this is really nice. Yeah. So I feel like since really that mid 2020, I've kind of been trying to work my way back to, okay, how do I balance some of the productivity and the money and all of that from 2019, which was great, but never go back to that place of burnout, you know, really live more in the 2020, like target on a Tuesday. Not that we were going to target in 2020, but <laughs> you know, how can I Maybe live you more? Maybe the parking lot and right, the parking target. Lot of target. That's right. <laughs> but how can we live more in that, in that white space uh, that was so nice about not being able to do as much, you know? And that is the perfect segue into my third tip, finding software that can do things for you. So we mentioned already the email. I have always had a client management system where when somebody sends an email, it goes in there and it's in there. That's why I always made people email me because I didn't want to lose it. But the inquiry is in there. And the initial email is generated right back to them. Thank you for inquiring. Here's, um, I think my message actually says, like, here's the information you're probably looking for. A little segue. People's first question is always, what is the price? Right. And we all get very furious when we see those emails. Like, do they not understand? I am a creative artist. I am an why, artist. Are they, why, why are they asking that? They should just love my work. But the reality is potential customers know the difference between good and bad so they can see what's good and they know that they like something and they know what's bad, but they can't actually tell the difference between good and great. And the only mental anchor for most of us when we are shopping for things is the dollar amount that it is going to cost us. So when someone asks you what the price is, Stop telling yourself that they're price shopping you because they're not. They're just trying to figure it out. They're trying to figure out, I like this person's work. What's the price going to be so I can decide if the price matches how much I value it? And should I shell out my money for it? I mean, if you're meeting with clients in person and they get really silent, they might not be trying to figure out how to tell you no. They might be trying to figure out, oh, I have that $2,000 in that savings account that I can move and I can get $1,000 from here. Like they might just be doing mental math. Absolutely. Don't assume that silence is a no and that somebody asking what the cost is, is them price shopping you. Actually asking the price is a buying signal that they're interested in buying. So yes, sometimes the response might be, ooh, I can't find that money. Mm-hmm. And that's fair. You know, that's okay. But sometimes the answer might be like, ooh, give me two days. I have to move money from bank account A to bank account B and I'm in. Yeah. But, oh, that's but, so true. That's such a good point. Back to the software. That was what was nice in a way. I always felt like having that um, client management system was sort of the bad cop to me being a good cop. Because it sent out the invoices for me. And then sometimes people will come back and they'd be like, oh, I didn't realize the invoice was going to be due today. Can I have a few more days? And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's just automated. 
it's okay. I do this game. Yes. I got to be the nice person, but also out there in the world, more and more technology is constantly advancing. We now have a lot of things that are involving artificial intelligence that are coming to the business space. So one of the things that I've used that kind of blows my mind every time I use it is a software called Jarvis, which Mm. will write copy for you. Oh my gosh. You can like, it's Jarvis.ai. It can write entire blog posts. Now, sometimes because it's AI software, sometimes it gets a little wonky. I've tested several. Jarvis is actually the one I have been most pleased with. But you can go in there and you can have it help you write your Facebook ads. Have it help you write social media captions. You can start with something and then it goes and looks on the internet and it writes fresh copy. They even point out to you, you can like plagiarism check it. They're not just grabbing copy from some other website. One time it did get interesting. I was talking about something and like it put in a quote from Gary V that A, wasn't actually a quote from Gary V and B, like, where did that come from? I didn't yeah. interview Gary V. Like, I'm not going to quote him. It was just a little weird. So you have to read what it writes, but you can actually say, mm, I don't like that one. Generate a new one for me. And on the AI front, that's actually, I mentioned that I work for Aftershoot now. Um, because part of the result of 2020 was, I did some freelance work for friends. And for the first time in 17 years, I thought, wow, it's really nice to have a boss and to have coworkers. So I ended up deciding that it'd be really nice to take a job where I had a boss and coworkers and I can completely specialize and focus in on my zone of genius, which is all this marketing and how can we make more money? I really like, I'm not money driven, but I really like making more money. So what Aftershoot does is for those of you that are photographers, you can bring in your photos into our software. It runs locally on your Mac or Windows computer. And you bring in the photos, you press a button, and you can walk away while it calls your photos for you using AI technology. So it's a little mind-blowing. You guys, when I saw Christine at the reset conference, so I had seen people talking about Aftershoot and it was one of the booths that I had not stopped by. And so then I was on my phone that night on Instagram and I, I looked up Aftershoot because your logo is amazing. It's like a, it's a spaceman. It's an astronaut on a unicorn. Our, our, t- our t-shirts. t-shirts. Our t-shirts. Okay. Yeah. So the t-shirt has, and the stickers that you had were the astronaut on a unicorn. Well, my son and daughter's favorite things are astronauts and unicorns. And so I was like, I need to know more about this aftershoot business. So I look it up on Instagram and figure out it's this AI software that calls for you. Everyone's least favorite part of being a photographer is calling. And I just went down this rabbit hole. And so then the next day I practically ran to Christine's booth and I'm like, tell me everything. (laughs) So I was just at another conference where The conference started on Monday morning. On Sunday night, I asked my roommate for her hard drive. I brought in um, just short of 6,000 photos. I ingested the photos into Aftershoot. There's a button that says, when you're done importing, start the call. I said, yes, please. I pressed start the call. I put the laptop on the nightstand and I rolled over and went to sleep. And an hour later, it had called them down to 
1700 photos um, because part of what it does is it goes through and it looks for the blinks, the blurry photos, and then it groups all the duplicates together. So let's say you're a photographer and you take, you know, 10 family portraits of the same family, you know, set of family members, and they haven't really moved because we're using faster cameras now and it's very easy to just hold down the shutter and take 10 photos. Um, so you've taken 10 photos and it evaluates those 10 photos and it says, okay, out of these 10 photos, people are blinking in three. So the other seven are just duplicates, but of the seven duplicates, this one's the best and it picks the best for you. And then I always tell people when you're done. So when I was showing this to people on that Monday morning, I said, I haven't done anything. All I've done was press start and went to sleep and it had grouped everything. It had given everything star ratings and I always tell people, look through the selected images, sort of get a feel for what's selected, and then look through the closed eyes and the blurry photos, see if there's anything you want to bring in. Just like I was mentioning about Jarvis, sometimes doing things that I'm like, mm, that's not quite what I wanted. Every once in a while, after shoot, same thing. It, we get it 85% right, 90% right, but there's always, a, you know, oh, I intentionally wanted that person's eyes closed. You know, I had I was photographing somebody and they were looking, you know, I was doing brand photos for a florist and they were looking down at the flowers. I wanted their eyes closed. It's as simple as pressing the A button and you add it back into the set and now you're done. When you're all done, you export the photos off into Lightroom and you're on your way. And my favorite part is over time, we tell you in the software how much time it has saved you. So we have people telling us like, oh, in the past two months, Aftershoot has saved me three days of work. Right. You know, it saved me 72 hours because as I mentioned earlier, we can all make more money. There's always a way to make more money. None of us can ever make more time. We have to find ways to get the time back in our life so that, you know, we can have a life. Yeah. And when you're, you know, earlier you mentioned profitability, this is such a simple way to make sure that your packages and your services are more profitable because now you're not spending two hours calling. You're spending like 30 minutes going back into aftershoot. And hashtag real talk. I don't know about you, but okay. The only time I've ever called something in two hours was when I actually had like a client meeting in two hours. And so I had to be done. So Otherwise, true. when I have something... It's the part of the process I hate. I suffer from severe analysis paralysis, and I know that I'm going to have a lot of decision fatigue when I'm done. So I dread it. That's actually how I found the software. I photographed an event. Um, they were just going to be social media photos, and it was an outside event. So I didn't have to do extensive editing on them, but there was no way I was handing them a thousand files. Nobody needs that ever. So I was trying to find a way to do this automatically without my involvement, but I spent like six hours that day doing every other bit of work I could find. I rearranged a dresser drawer <laughs> so that I wouldn't have to call my photos, like going through that process of selecting your images and reviewing the frame, you know, frame by frame by frame. I dread it so much. And then when I start doing it, it physically hurts my brain. So I can only do it for a short amount of time and then I take a break. So that part of my business, you know, how I made my business more profitable when I was really heavily doing photography full-time was I outsourced it to someone. 
But even if I was outsourcing it, I would still want to be using this because why pay my editor to go through, you know, the 6,000 frame example, why pay an editor to go through 6,000 frames when I could just say, hey, narrow down these final 2,000 frames and, you know, get it down to 800. That's about how much I want to deliver on this wedding. So narrow it down. It would keep my costs down and it would take them less time. And by keeping my costs down, taking less time for them, taking less time for myself, now I can deliver the photos faster. And then our always on instant world, for good or bad, um, people want their photos fairly fast. And if you can get them to people faster, fantastic. And as I mentioned, this it does run on your computer. I've had people ask me, they're like, oh, but I do a lot of social media photos on my phone. You would just have to import them from your phone. You could run them through there. I don't really know of people who do, but you could. If you needed help narrowing down, let's say maybe you do your own photos for social media for your creative business and you're not a photographer, could you still use it? Yes. It's a very fantastic normal price is $120 a year, like a year. Like you couldn't hire anybody for $120 a year. There's nothing in your business that you can outsource at that price. And because I adore you and we adore your listeners. We also set up a 10% off coupon code. So if they use the code MADDIE10, M-A-D-D-I-E-10, they will get 10% off their first purchase. I love this so much. You guys, this is the perfect way to start essentially outsourcing while you're maybe still a little bit nervous about outsourcing. I always joke that, um, you know, Christine, you talked about your CRM earlier, your customer relationship manager. I always joke that my CRM was how I got an assistant before I could afford an assistant. Totally. That was my first assistant. Yep. A hundred percent. And I think this is such, it's, it's a similar stepping stone. I, I talk to a lot of photographers and I'm constantly pushing them to outsource their editing. But the response that I always get back is like, I could not give up that level of control with after shoot. It does it for you, but then you can go back through and you can tell it, oh, I actually want this it. photo. Yeah, you just review it. So it's kind of excuse proof. Like it's going to take all the things that you hate and do it for you and still give you control. And as you're making those revisions on your computer, I always tell people make those revisions within Aftershoot because Aftershoot, um, while we're using machine learning and AI technology in the software itself, we also have features. So it continues to learn from you, your preferences on your computer. So if you continue to make those changes, it's going to keep learning and be like, oh, Maddie likes these photos more than those photos. So cool. So it can improve what it selects over time. One of the conversations that I've had actually quite a bit lately with some of my clients who are pivoting into brand photography is making sure that when they are delivering galleries to clients, that these galleries are maybe smaller and tighter than they would expect them to be. Because we tend to want to give all of these photos. And I absolutely like, if that's part of your business model, I think that can be a really wonderful thing that your clients absolutely love. I also think that there is um, such a thing as having too many options. And when you have- it's very overwhelming. Very. And especially when you're talking in brand photography, 
with these people who have likely never had a gallery of photos mm -hmm. this large to have 10 photos that are basically identical of the same headshot or the same pose or whatever, that's actually doing them a pretty big disservice to not narrow it down further and tell them, no, actually, these are the best two. Right. And I had switched at one point in time to full-on in-person sales, and it was a huge lesson for me. I mean, I was probably six years into my business already when I did that. And when I switched, I thought that people weren't going to want to look through their photos with me. And the exact opposite. They were like, oh, thank you so much for helping me choose. Because they would get really stuck in their head and not be able to choose, which like I said, I have analysis paralysis and I love all of my photos. If I took the photo, I love it. Right. And there's a term um, that writers use. It's called kill the darlings. And it's like basically that you have to edit things down. Even if you think that that sentence is the most clever turn of phrase you've ever written, it might still need to go and it's okay. And the same thing for the photos, because what I would do is I would leave the frame where my client would be 100% smiling with the eyes all the way open, but maybe then the next one they were smiling a little bit more with their eyes, but a little coy expression with their mouth. And then the next one was full teeth smile and I would leave them all in. And I still tend to do that to an extent, but now I leave one. I don't leave four that right. are almost identical. The very first time I used Aftershoot, which was as a customer, that's how I met them. By the time I was done, I went through what the software had selected and I was like, wow, the software just told me that these are the best photos. I agree. Done. Let's go. Let's move on. All I had to do was export the photos. Um, I renumbered them in Lightroom and I delivered them to the client from there. I was just done. And while that was happening, I was over on Facebook writing this long post about how where has this been my entire life? Like it blew my mind to have that experience. And I haven't, like, I personally have not been that excited about software as a photographer since I discovered Lightroom in 2007. So it took me 14 years to find another piece of software that made me that excited. But there, there are a variety of things out there that you can use that can act as, you know, like we said, as an assistant to your business, as a ghost copywriter in the case of Jarvis, as you know, your assistant editor. Because I would say if you were outsourcing to a human, you would still probably look through the photos anyways. And I've had people tell me, they're like, oh, well, I can go through and call in two hours. And I'm like, cool. But what if this could do it in an hour while you were doing something else, you know, while you were sending emails, while you were doing your next task, while you were doing paying work for a client, while you went to get coffee, you know, whatever, whatever it is that you need in your life, let this do the work for you for an hour, come back, spend 30 minutes reviewing it. And 30 minutes doesn't sound like a lot, but think about how much that adds up, depending on what your volume of work is. Anything as a whole, that's really my general blanket advice when it comes to finding software that can work for you. Anything that can be systemized, you should systemize. 100%. Anything 
that you can have someone or something else do for you, you should do. And then pick the points where that human touch needs to come back in. Absolutely. I totally agree. One of the things that I started doing years ago when we were talking about email is set up canned responses in Gmail. Mm-hmm. So yeah. not, not even now I have an autoresponder, but this was even before the autoresponder. It was just canned right. responses. And people would always say, oh, but I want my, I want, I want it to be more personalized and I want it to be, there's personalization in there. I don't just push a button and push send, you know, like yeah. I, respond yeah, I, w- I would put the canned response in and then maybe right. edit the first sentence, yep. edit the last sentence, you know, yep. tweak it, but at least the core is written for me. I do not have to think and write over and over again. And then as you bring an assistant into your business, if you reach that point in your business, that is already written for you. Exactly. And all they have to do is pick the canned response, you know, put in some personal information based on what the potential client wrote you and they're off. Yeah. And now you, now you have a much more efficient business. You, that's really it. So many of us move into being a creative business owner because it starts as a hobby. It starts as something that we really love, that we see the potential. We see that we can make money with it. We see that we could get clients or, you know, whatever it is that you create. We see that potential. And because it starts as a hobby, sometimes we don't step back and look at it really like a business owner would. And I would argue, I always hear that statistic about X number of businesses fail in five years. And I don't think that that number is accurate at all. And the reason I don't think that is, I think some of us were creatives. We start a business that we think we're going to love as a business. And then we realize we don't love making money doing that thing. It was our hobby first. It was our, our passion. And we don't want to be paid for it. So we close down our business. And that's not the same as a business failing. I think you can have permission to do that if that's what's right for you. Or if you feel like you're starting to lose the passion, look around and see where are some things that you can put these systems in place and bring that passion back to your business. Yeah. Really identifying where in your business do you need to be? And also, do you want to be? And what's draining you? What do you dread? You know, figuring those things out so you can get back to really designing the business that you wanted to design in the first place. I used to think that everything creative I did, I could turn into a business. And realistically, I probably could. I knit. I am a very slow knitter. I am all about the journey of what I am creating. And I only knit for myself because only I will appreciate it for all the hours I put in. And I've had people ask me before, will you knit for me? And the idea of knitting for someone else, horrible. Mm -hmm. Like just sounds like my worst nightmare. So just because you can create something doesn't mean you have to. It's okay if you keep some things for yourself. That's right. Okay. But, and I think that that's true. There are different personality types that tend to do that, tend to kind of Mm -hmm. make businesses out of thin air. And I, uh, one of the things I started doing during COVID was baking. And I found, I had baked cakes like for my family leading up until then, but really during COVID is when I I bought all the things and the supplies. (laughs) And I started doing these pretty elaborate birthday cakes for my family and I would post them on social media and 
friends would say, you could sell these. You should sell these. Can I buy one from you? And I'm like, absolutely not. Never in a million years. <laughs> like no, never. <laughs> and then never. Yep. Yep. This is so fun for me. And I am not the type of person that really has a lot of hobbies. So this is a hobby. Like that's just the boundary that we have. So that's so true. There may be things where it doesn't need to be a business and it's not serving you to be a business, but if it's okay, if it, if it's time to take it to the next level, being able to look at something a little bit more from that lens of a business owner, as opposed to that, the hobbyist or I'm looking at it as a creative outlet. These are some really incredible tools that can help you kind of rise to that occasion. Exactly. You don't have to answer immediately. You don't have to do it all and find the software out there that can help do some of the work for you. Awesome. Christine, thank you so much for being here today. Talk um, just a second about- uh, Oh, where- I should share the, the yes, URL. URL. <laughs> so I mentioned earlier that there is a, a code, Maddie10, and you can use that. The website is aftershoot.com. And we are also on Instagram as aftershootco. You can find us on Facebook as well under that same username. And we'll include the link and all of the different social media links in the show notes as well. Thank you so much for being here today. This was fantastic. Thank you so much for having me. This was fun. Thank you so much for listening to Take It Personally. If you're a regular listener, you might already know that some of the best conversations actually happen after the show. Head over to Facebook and search Take It Personally Podcast to join our private Facebook group and join the conversation. We'll also put the link in the show notes. And if you haven't already, would you head over to iTunes and leave us a review? This is the best way to let other people know about the show and help us to keep creating content you love. You can also head to takeitpersonallypodcast.com for all the show notes from today's episode and past episodes. Thanks so much for listening. See you next week.